Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I love the words of that song. I, I pray those words by your spirit would convict us. It goes in the crushing, in the pressing, you are bringing new wine. Uh, I know people here uh, in this room, in this sanctuary this morning, uh, they're, they're people who feel pressed, pressed by anxiety, pressed by the, the pressure, maybe of work or strained relationships. There are people here who feel crushed. Maybe it's by sickness, physical sickness, emotional depression, uh, lack of or loss of purpose. I don't know, but I, I know those are here. And so I pray that all of us would see, uh, would see a big God that you're using all those things to bring something new uh, in our lives. Uh, that you can use all those things to bring something new in this church, your church. Uh, that you can use anything and everything and you choose to do so uh, to bring a new season, new life uh, into our lives. And it is uh, by and because of and for uh, Jesus that we can lift him up and say, look what he did in my heart, in my relationships in my church, in this world. I pray, pray more of us would have, myself included, that type of faith about the new wine you're bringing through the crushing, through the pressing by Jesus. In his name, amen. Thank you, guys. You can have a seat. Thank you, worship teams. Y'all step down for uh, leading us, moving us in worship. Uh, if you have your Bibles... You can turn to Matthew chapter 27, towards the end of Matthew, right up to the crucifixion. Uh, I'm going to read, I'm actually going to read verses 1 and 2 of Matthew 27, and then skip down and read verses 11 through 26. Before I do that, though, just a couple uh, other announcements. Uh, I'm very thankful for those children's leaders who spoke, uh, but to tie in with uh, next week, uh, again, as the sun comes out, love that, uh, the picnic that we will have, the Easter egg hunts, there's a sign-up sheet in the foyer for those who want to help volunteer, so as you're going out today, would love for you to take a look at that, uh, love for you to respond uh, to our, our children's leaders and help with that day. Also need some hands to move out the chairs, and then in two weeks' time, uh, obviously, there is Easter. Uh, we'll have a baptism celebration. We have three baptisms lined up. Uh, if you have not been baptized, if you've ever considered baptism, I would love to talk to you about that. Uh, it will be a celebration. As uh, I've said before, if you've never been to our baptism service, we don't always have them on Easter, but uh, this year, uh, this this upcoming one will be on Easter. It is... Uh, it's kind of Holy Spirit with a seatbelt or charismatic with a seatbelt. So just to kind of prompt you on that. But then also on that day, we do this on our Easter service and Christmas Eve in the program. And if you don't have one, you can pick one up. There is a, in memory of or in honor of the Easter lilies that will be out. And we will have names of those in memory and honor of uh, in the program that Easter morning. Uh, just to share in the uh, life of the 
the saints triumphant, as, uh, uh, as it would uh, be called in church history, that those have gone on before. And so if you would like to do that, uh, to also, as a way to celebrate their resurrection, uh, just go ahead and fill that out, put it in the offering plate as we come up for uh, communion. So this Sunday and next, you can do that. Matthew 27, uh, verse 1 through 2, and then 11 through 26. Uh, we have been going through this series in Lent leading up to the cross, uh, which we'll get to next week on Palm Sunday. And we've really been talking uh, about you know, how Lent should be a season where we intentionally draw closer with Jesus. And you know something, as we intentionally draw closer with Jesus, if you are, uh, and, and maybe your intent is just like being here on Sunday, which is great, but sometimes as we try to think about moving closer to Jesus, we actually see how far away from him we are, uh, which has happened uh, in my life. We've also been talking over the last couple of weeks is what does the cross really mean? And I would urge you to think about and see that it really means uh, an all or nothing attitude that Jesus did on the cross, gave his, his total, his complete all, his life for us. And then we, and this specifically ties into the message today, really our Christian life, really, and this is the Lord's convicted me of this, should be all or nothing and not halfway. That's what the cross means. Jesus gave it all for us, as we'll sing on Easter, he paid it all. And what the cross means is our, our Christianity, our faith, really and truly should be all or nothing. And we'll, we'll see, we'll talk about what that looks like. But Matthew chapter 27. When daybreak came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. After tying him up, they led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. Then, Je oh wait, I got to skip. Verse 11, sorry, it's getting in a roll there. Now Jesus stood before the governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. Jesus answered, you say so. While he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he didn't answer. Then Pilate said to him, don't you hear how much they are testifying against you? But he didn't answer him on even one charge so that the governor was quite amazed. At the festival, the governor's custom was to release to the crowd a prisoner they wanted. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who is it you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was because of envy that they had handed him over. While he was sitting on the judge's bench, his wife, Pilate's wife, sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for today I've suffered terribly in a dream because of him. The chief priests and elders, however, persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to execute Jesus. The governor asked them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? Barabbas, they answered. Pilate asked them, What should I do then with this Jesus? who is called the Christ. They all answered, crucify him. Then he said, why? What has he done wrong? But they kept shouting all the more, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that a riot was starting instead, he took some water, washed his hands in front of the crowd, and said, I am innocent of this man's blood. 
See to it yourselves. All the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. And after having Jesus flogged, handed him over to be crucified. Stop there. We'll pick up right there next week. Uh, For some of us, a familiar scene again. Last week, uh, we talked about Jesus going to the chief priest, the Sanhedrin. Today, uh, they hand him over to Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate representing the state, uh, the power, political and military power. And I've always been fascinated by this scene of Pilate washing his hands. You know, washing his hands of Jesus. Saying, I wash my hands of this, of this deal, of this, of this matter. It's on you. It's not on me. My hands are clean. I've always been interested with that. So, if you remember, a couple minutes ago, I said on this Apostles' Creed, I'm going to use a line here in, this, in the sermon. And the line is, as you might have connected by now, He suffered under Pontius Pilate. I've also always been fascinated by why that line uh, was in the Apostles' Creed. I mean, for those of us who know it, uh, was it Pilate then who who had Jesus killed? Pilate would say here, you know, it was the crowd. He washed his hands of it, or the chief priests. But the creed, and as early as it goes back, many scholars think the apostles, like the twelve, uh, wrote that. There's some debate. But it is the earliest Christian creed. And they added, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. And I've always wondered why they included Pilate. Okay? There, there are a couple reasons, and you may wonder that too, or you may not. Uh, one is to show the, uh, that Jesus Christ was a historic person. That the crucifixion was a historic event. Pilate was uh, a living, breathing man in history. Look him up. He was the Roman governor uh, from like AD 26 to AD 36. So this was, the crucifixion was a historic moment. That's one reason. There's another reason that uh, people believe that Pilate specifically was added into it. And it was more or less that God is over government structures and uses, this is fascinating, listen to this, and uses uh, government authorities for his will and purpose, whether they realize it or not. Uh, A couple of verses in the Bible actually testify to this. I'm going to put it up up on screen. I'm going to be using probably a lot more scripture today, even though this is the focal point here in Matthew 27. Romans 13.1. Look at this. This is a very interesting verse. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities. Sometimes we have problems with that. Uh, I'm not talking about with police. I'm talking about depending on the governing authority's political party, right? Okay? We can. Since there is no authority except from God, look at this, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. Translation that instituted actually literally means put in place by God. Uh, Another passage in Romans 9, Romans 9, 17 Going back, tying to uh, the Old Testament Pharaoh. Scripture tells Pharaoh, I raised you up for this reason. Because Pharaoh was ruler. That was the political power of the, of the day. So that I may display my power in you and that my name may be proclaimed in the whole earth. Uh, so many people believe that Pilate was inserted in the creed to show us, to remind us, 
that God is in charge. Uh, that uh, even if we don't realize that, that God is orchestrating events and authorities and structures uh, for his will and purpose. I'll tell you a real brief story. And, and this may be, for some of you, this may be the thing you take home. I hope it's not. But I know, well, if I was sitting out there, this would be, as kind of a political junkie that I am, I, I might take this home. I remember my wife and I were part of a InterVarsity. Some of you are aware it's a collegiate ministry, college ministry, InterVarsity group. And this guy, so he wasn't like a quack or something. He led InterVarsity. And I say that because of what, he, uh, what you're going to hear he, he said. He, uh, he, in one of these meetings, this was back when I was in seminary. So it was, in a, it was up north. Uh, it, was in a, um, it was in a school. So he, he, he ministered to undergrads and graduate schools. But he said one time, he's like, if God wants you, and there were a lot of politicos here at this school. I won't name it, but a lot of politicos. But he said, if God wants you to be president of the United States, you'll be president of the United States. Now, like I said, don't let that be the one thing you take home here. And I pushed back and said, There's no way. Come on, man. And as he broke it down, he's like, no, no, I'm talking about, like, if God wants someone president of the United States, and again, this is not a political sermon, okay, but his pilot, he was the political figure. He might orchestrate things in your heart and doors that would open and uh, also relationships to get you there for his overarching, controlling uh, purposes, and now, as I've grown in my faith, and we like to say a lot here, see a big God, uh, I kind of, well, I believe that. God's in, control. God's in control of everything. God is not up there saying, like, always reacting to things that we as humans do on earth. Oh, well, I've got I to figure this out. I've got I to control. Things are not looking good in Asia. I've got to put some more time there. I've gotta, that, is, that is not the God of the Bible. Okay? The God of the Bible, there's a plan he uses everything uh, in this life and in history for his plan that will come to fruition. And if you read about that uh, and take some time to think about it, even in Revelation, which is very tough, uh, you can see that uh, there is a plan. And at the end, Jesus, Jesus is reigning now, but everybody will know that. So one of the big reasons they say that Pilate was in there is that he represented uh, government, authority, power, military. And the last reason, though, and this is really the one that I'm going to hone in on the most, is that it really showed the, someone who was half-hearted. And it contrasted, uh, it says, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, those who had wholehearted devotion to Christ, to those who had half-hearted devotion to Christ. Because if you look back at Pilate, which we just have, Pilate was, was very half-hearted in his response to Jesus. Looking at this passage, it's interesting that Pilate, I, I always think Pilate, like wanted, Pilate wanted to go there. That's how I've always seen Pilate. Like he, he really wanted to believe fully. And you know, some, and this is a side note, there are some Christian scholars that actually think Pilate was later converted. I'm not saying that. I don't know that. But there's some speculation. But it's they say that, they draw on that because they, they feel like Pilate wanted to go there and like stand up to the priest and stand up to the crowd and say, no, this man is innocent. Where do I get that, you say? Well, I mean, even Luke says it more, but in the passage uh, we're in, verse 14, it says the governor was quite amazed. Uh, Pilate was amazed by, by Jesus. Uh, Luke goes further and, and talks about how Pilate believed he was innocent. 
And then Pilate really, you know, tries to, uh, tries to get out of the situation three times by saying, you know, come on, man. Come on, guys. Don't you want me to release him? Three times there. His wife says she suffered terribly, but she too believes that he's a righteous man. And so finally, Pilate was like, you know, this is really what, this is really what the passage, what, what Pilate represents. People's, uh, the power of the people, the power of government, uh, the prestige is much more important than taking a stand for what his, maybe his heart, his conscience was feeling was the right thing to do. And he caved. Pilate caved and said, okay. And he still tried to say, I will wash my hands of this, so it's really not my fault, but it's yours. I didn't want to do this. I mean, he's, he's more or less a coward. And he's saying, you know, it's y'all's fault, it's not mine, and he tried to get out of it. So what can this teach us? Well, it goes back to what I said at the beginning what does the cross mean? The cross really means our faith should be, should be. And look, we're broken human vessels. And, you know, primo example number one is right here, okay? But we should, I believe, have in the forefront of our mind, our actions, our relationships, our speech. If we claim Christ, we need to be moving to an all or nothing faith. At least moving there, okay? So I'm not expecting perfection today, but I am saying, like, it shouldn't be a half-hearted deal. It should be wholehearted, okay? Pilate washed his hands of Jesus. How often, how often would we, figuratively speaking or metaphorically speaking, you know, wash our hands of a situation? When God gives us an opportunity to, to take a stand, when God gives us an opportunity to uh, really try to uh, love on a brother or sister who might need it, but might make us very uncomfortable. When God gives us an opportunity to tell uh, not a hard truth, maybe a soft truth, or try to tell a soft truth, and we back away because we don't necessarily like confrontation and we're conflict averse. And we just say, man, this is just not my deal. I'm just not going to go there. Uh, lukewarmness. Some people have described this, this attitude as being lukewarm. And I want to use a passage in Revelation. I'm going to read it. It's up on screen too. And, you know, quite frankly, when I was growing up, uh, my, uh, uh, some of my family, I won't name who, but a lot of them would, would always uh, throw the, I was a lukewarm Christian on me. I straddled the fence, you know, coming to the church. And just being honest, being real. Coming to church, going out all weekend, I was like, man, maybe hung over, but at least I'm at church. You know, I'd say that, okay? And some of you may have said that here. I am glad you're at church, but, uh, and I don't, often the lukewarmness, I think we can, I mean, when I grew up, Christianity really meant don't drink or don't get drunk, don't smoke or, I guess, dip, which I broke, and don't have sex before marriage. And that was really kind of how I equated things. That's not Christianity, okay? But in our culture, that can easily uh, be, you know, categorized like, yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're faking it, you're lukewarm, which, uh, which I would say you're not lukewarm. I would say you might not be a Christian if you're just living explicitly like that. But wait, that's another conversation. But 
in Revelation 3, and this is verse uh, this 14 through 16, look at what it says. Jesus says, write to the angel of the church in uh, Laodicea. This, thus says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to, it's a pretty, uh, pretty vivid description here, vomit uh, you out of my mouth. Uh, those are Jesus' words. Uh, this emphasis on uh, being lukewarm, not being all in, uh, or saying you're all in and really your actions in your life say something, speak something differently. Uh, we talked about it. Uh, in our Sunday morning uh, small group, B group this morning, uh, Romans, Romans 12, 9. Let love be, this is interesting, without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. Look it up. That's the one verse. Let love be without hypocrisy. Uh, let it be real. Let it be true. And sometimes true love is not as, as sometimes uh, sweet it's not like our, our iced tea down here. And I love our iced tea and sweet tea, but it's not as syrupy and sweet. Sometimes true love can be very truthful. Let love be without hypocrisy. Uh, another passage I want to sh- uh, share about uh, lukewarmness or half-heartedness or hypocrisy is Matthew 7. This is a, if you want a verse that will keep you up at night, uh, and I've thought about this even for... Well, yeah, for me and, and others, though, really more others that I've pastored. Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23, Jesus says again, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Uh, What is that saying? Uh, Most folks take that passage and say it's those who've claimed the name of Christ and not lived by the name of Christ. Uh, Those who would say, you know, I've I've done this and I've got a lot of good works and base their salvation on their works. Uh, Where real salvation, it is belief, but that belief impacts your life, in your relationships, in your church, in your speech, uh, so that the the works, the fruit that should come out of that is the starting point of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And he's given it all. Again, what does the cross mean? It means it's all or nothing. He's given his entire life, his body, as we'll share in communion, his blood shed for you, his body broken for you. So often I think Pilate can represent uh, some truths that are, that are really in in the gospel about this being half-hearted in our faith, in our walk, uh, being lukewarm, washing our hands in the situation. Why would you wash your hands in the situation? Because you're much more concerned about your own kingdom than the glory of God or the kingdom of God. And, and I'll be the first to admit again, I mean, I've washed my hands. Situ- I've, that means, like, I don't want to be part of the situation. I'm out. I'm, it's going to be, there's going to be conflict for me. There's going to be conflict maybe for my family or my kingdom. And I'm just not going to go there. Or it's not taking a stand when God gives you the opportunity. Uh, now, often I think we can say taking a stand. With, we see the, 
the bad things of the world, you know, the ills, the, the, the social issues, or uh, things that, uh, that, honestly, Christians in the church have given a bad rap to Christians in the church. Like, no, don't do that, don't do that. But sometimes, I think being wholehearted, fully devoted, you know, means to, to love on people. Yes, to tell a truth, but maybe not tell a hard, maybe tell a hard truth in a soft way. And seeing, instead of being so big and bad in our Christianity and, you know, Captain Truth Teller, I just think about how Jesus has dealt with me. Because uh, I've been far from the Lord, and there's the temptation to always be far from the Lord. And I think Jesus is very soft with every believer and the grace that he's given. So, real quickly, and we're about to end up, what would be the counter to the washing of hands? It's, it's so interesting that Pilate washed his hands because uh, earlier on before Jesus was crucified, and this just these points can be made pretty quickly, Mary, not Mary, mother of Jesus, but Mary, sister of Lazarus, washed Jesus' feet. What does wholehearted devotion look like? Mary washed Jesus' feet. And we alluded to this a couple weeks ago. She took a... Oh, let me just read you the scriptures. John 12, 1 through 3. You don't have to turn to it, but you could write it down. Just to contrast the washing of hands from Pilate with the washing of feet. What does wholehearted devotion look like? Well, Mary, to give some context, she took a, an ointment that supposedly was like so expensive, probably a, like a family heirloom, uh, probably their retirement for this family, and shattered it so expensive and washed Jesus' feet with it. John 12, this is where the account is. Verse 1, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, the one Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him. Martha was serving them, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. Then Mary took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Later on in that passage, it talks about how Judas was very critical of Mary, uh, saying like, hey, we could have used that for the poor. We could have sold that and gotten money for the poor. It's interesting these contrasts. The Bible, the gospel writers trying to show us uh, those who are half-hearted, uh, those who are hypocrites, Judas, uh, to those who are fully devoted uh, in Christ. And then the last passage I would use is, you know, you might say, why? Why should I be fully devoted? I mean, we kind of know the, the Sunday school answers. But what Jesus has done for us, he washed our feet. You know, before the Last Supper, before, before Judas betrayed him, before all this, first thing he wanted to show was that he was there as a servant. John 13, verses 1 through 5. It says, Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a the towel tied around him. 
I'll stop there. I read those scripture passages because there is a big contrast, and this is a big challenge. To go from how we started the sermon with the question of why Pilate was in there to the challenge of being half-hearted versus whole-hearted. And look, I'll be the first to say I fall into the trap of being half-hearted. But what the cross means as we move to Easter is that our faith should be all or nothing. And there are, there are very strong contrasts with those who are half-hearted in Scripture. Even someone like Pilate who, man, who wanted to believe and wanted to go there. I don't want that to be you. I don't want that to be anyone from our church. To those who are wholehearted, say, yes, I will give it all for Christ and his kingdom. Family heirloom, I know this sounds crazy to you. It sounds crazy to me. Family's retirement. Here, Jesus, and I'm not asking for your retirement, but I am trying to show you people who's like, you know, it is, it is all, all in. It's all or nothing. Why do we do that? Why would they do that? Why would Christians, you know, after the crucifixion, we talked about this last week, about how we can fall into uh, pre-disciple Jesus versus post, would give of their life. I mean, their physical life as martyrs uh, would go. Because they remember the Lord of all, who defeated death, knelt down and washed their dirty feet. Their leader became their servant. Their leader said, if you're going to lead, you serve. How could we do this? Last couple, last couple minutes, last couple seconds. How can we make it all or nothing? You know, we, we talk about here at this church uh, opportunities to serve. Uh, global, as Hunter said at the beginning with Honduras. Very, very local. I mean, not even out on the streets, but in this church. Children. Jesus loved children. Other opportunities. Uh, events. Uh, having people Picnic, Easter eggs. I don't want us to ever see, and we can fall in the trap and say, yeah, we got to do this because this is, you know, what churches do. No, churches are to be a community that love one another, uh, that often give encouragement, but often uh, communicate truths and grow in the depth of their relationships and help marriages and help those who are not married and give the opportunity for those who don't have children to be uh, spiritual moms and spiritual dads to tee us up for local mission and global mission to the world. But the reason we do that is we believe in this God that is at work. Uh, No matter the the size of a congregation, be it ten or a thousand, uh, no matter the size of where your heart is right now in relationship to the Lord. I love that song that we play, and it really convicted me in the prayer. Some of you are being crushed right now. Some of you are being pressed right now by the pressure. Maybe God's making something new in your life. Maybe he's going to bring out new. Of course he is. So maybe about it. We do all this because a love of God is the beginning and the never-ending place that goes out to love of others. Those struggling, those happy and on a high note. And it's not just a general love. It's, it's love because Jesus Christ has saved you. And it's got to get personal. He gave his entire life his body, his soul. He allowed himself to take on the weight of of all the the bad stuff, the explicit sins that we've done or that will ever be done. And that's how there's grace. I say it over again. How can someone who's lived a horrible life in the earthly terms, 
before death, say, hey, I believe. You know, and be with the thief on the cross or meet him up in heaven. It's because Jesus took it all. The weight of all sin forever. Your sin, and it's personal. My sin. And all we have to do, when you say believe in that, trust in that, rely on that, and it changes you. And that's when it starts becoming all. It's all. It's not half-hearted. It's wholehearted devotion. I want to be a wholehearted church. And I... Let me catch that. I, don't, I didn't say I want to pastor a wholehearted church. I want this church, the community, to be a wholehearted church. And not everybody uh, will. I said, but, you know, as you come in here, anybody can come at any walk of life where they are. We just don't want you to stay the same. And quite frankly, I don't want to stay the same each and every Sunday. But we're moving to a wholehearted devotion because of what Jesus has done. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, move us, convict us. I see people in Scripture. We help us see people in Scripture who were very half-hearted. And then what you say about, convict us about lukewarmness. Convict us about lukewarmness. Uh, change our, our state of mind thinking that it is, that draws us to you. Say we do want to give it all. And let us take steps, take steps to move in that direction give our very life to your kingdom. That doesn't mean everybody's got to be a pastor or a missionary, but you give all of us daily opportunities to love you and serve you. That contributes to the good and the flourishing of human beings and this city and this world. Help us to move into that as a church body. In Jesus' name, amen.